So good morning, everybody, and welcome to, I think it's about episode four or episode five or episode six of the new Unbeatable Life podcast. And today's guest, and I might kill his surname here, but I'm going to try. Give it a shot. It's Troy Bousseau. Perfect. Nailed it. <laughs> Even with my Scottish accent. But I could not do his background any good. So I'll leave it up to him to tell us a wee bit about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so over I'll to you. I'll, I'll keep it brief and then we can we can dig into other stuff. So I'll, I'll kind of go in reverse maybe. Um, so I was the I am the founder of Athlinks, which is the world's largest results database and basically a social racing platform for endurance. So we have 350 million race results in Athlinks from about a million and a half events over the last several decades. So if you've raced, um, certainly in the U.S., right, and and uh, most of Europe and places like that. So, I mean, it's we have pretty darn good coverage worldwide. Um, just type in your name, find your results, claim them up, and, you know, hook up with your friends that you're racing with and all that kind of stuff. So that that has been really kind of my, my um, professional life for far longer than I ever thought it would be. So I sold that to Lifetime Fitness, which is a really high-end kind of premium athletic um, um, country club more so than a gym really they're like an athletic country club here in the united states and um, i sold that in 2013 and then have run various levels of um i mean i'm technically a vice president of technology there with them but i run athlinks and i've run product and engineering for athlinks and chronotrack a big timing company and and stuff. So registration and timing and my my world has really been kind of seated in endurance sports for the last uh, I don't know 15 or so years. And before that, I've done various startups, all technology, and um, you know done some interesting things with in Hollywood in the years prior, building a lot of uh, technology out in in Hollywood and and things like that. So yeah. And we can dig into those things deeper if you want. To. Yeah, cool. But I think I picked up some, but you're not a technology guy. What's that? You're not really a technology guy. You're a graphic designer. Is that what it was you started as? I started as a graphic designer. Yeah. yeah, I literally started as a cut and paste artist, like razor blades and colored paper and layers. And I did a lot of artwork in, originally for Disney and Universal Studios and all sorts of different things like that. And... um but oddly, I always had this weird fascinations, uh, fascination with databases. So like in the late <laughs> early 90s, for some reason. So I, we owned a t-shirt company and I was doing cut and paste art for the t-shirt company. And then at the same time, I was learning how to build basically like a point of sale system on Microsoft Access and um, uh, was it Fox Pro. That's and, old school. <laughs> yeah, super old school. And And then when the web happened, you know, sort of as part of this, I, I took my graphic design digital um, and even going a step further, sort of back, um, the girl that I was dating was a photographer and we had a dark room in our apartment. And I just, I, the first time I saw a photograph on a computer screen, I was like, because my dad had been trying to get me to buy a computer, like give me a computer, yep. like one of these Tandy 8088s and stuff. And I just didn't know, I was a musician, you know, I was kind of a, you know, like it wasn't really my thing. I was like, what am I going to use a computer for? And so this is, you know, late eighties, you know, mid to late eighties and then early, early nineties. And I had no interest. And the first time I saw a photograph on a computer screen, I was like, yes, that, and that was that, that switch. Was, that was that, that was it. 
Yeah. Damn. I was just fascinated. And then, you know, that was at the time that then like, um, you know, like Jurassic Park and like computers started getting, you know, they were like characters in movies almost, you know? And so they started becoming, I started just really, it's kind of like when you're searching for a new car and every car you see now is that car. Yep. Your situational awareness pops up. Exactly. Yeah. So I was starting to get into computers and then I, you know, I was just drawn to anything that was, that was really computer heavy. So I loved the idea of graphics on computers and, uh, yeah, and then that's you know I started getting into Photoshop and and then uh, luckily I was able to learn because um, I think the first time like I went into a computer store and there used to actually be stores where they yep. just computers <laughs> they sold software and computers and I picked up like a I don't know it was like Delphi or some some computer manual you know programming book and I was like I opened it up and said whoa that <laughs> is, I'm not smart enough to do that stuff. Yeah, I never wanted to go in that one either. It's like, I'm a hardware guy. Yeah. Software's like, yeah, it's somebody else's gig. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it. it's like anything else. If you were to pick up a book written in Chinese, there's no way you could read it, obviously. But if you if you say, okay, you know, let me start ordering lunch in Chinese. Let me start, you know, whatever. You just start having these smaller conversations. And I was really lucky that that's kind of how I learned how to write software was... Again, I knew the database stuff. And so from a computer science standpoint, I knew what I wanted software to do. And that's kind of half the battle yep. is like knowing that there's a potential solution there and then just having a vague idea of how to solve it. And then as the web started coming out, I learned HTML and then ASP and Perl. And you know, then I was just kind of able to like add a layer each year. And then next thing I knew, I was like, holy cow, I can, I can do this stuff. So you just kept stacking stuff up yeah. in these languages. You know, yeah. for some of the younger people who might be listening is they'll probably not understand that, that it, back then, everything was pretty much static. Because yeah. I remember a guy coming to work and saying, my buddy does computer programming and website programming. And he had like a rotating tire for a tire sales place, like <laughs> in fire. And it was like, damn, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, so we had this t-shirt company where we were doing this like really dynamic art um, because it was one of like now they're commonplace, but at the time we were using these big Canon color copiers printed mm -hmm. on transfer paper and then on t-shirts. And so you had like Mickey mouse popping out behind a Disney logo and stuff like that. It was very dynamic and layers yep. and stuff. And so the, the original or the early web was just gray backgrounds you know, I mean, it took forever to load, you know, everything was GIFs. There was no JPEG hadn't even really come to the web yet, but we as a company were really adept at creating very dynamic art with very little to work with. Based so on we your t-shirt skills, the t -shirt you, how you kind yeah. of layer that thing to give that effect. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. So that would set you apart. Yeah. And is that what took you into that Hollywood side of things? Yeah. You, you were doing some website for some. Yeah. Huge stuff. Yeah. We had everybody. So we, the first client that we picked up and it was through a mutual friend was Dennis Leary, who, um, he, he's, uh, he was on a, uh, um, shoot it like a fire. He was uh, a fireman. One yeah, way fireman. Yeah. Um, but in the, in the late eighties, he was like, as far as comedy went, it mm -hmm. was, it was Dennis Leary and then everybody else. He was huge on MTV and just had this bigger than life persona. He did a movie, The Ref and a handful of other movies. And he saw some of the work that we had been doing on the web. And so we landed him easily. And then 
just the floodgates open. It was everybody. It was Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston, Denzel, Ryan Reynolds, who was an unknown at the time, but we got, you know, um, trying to Canadian, no, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. But it was everybody. I mean, we just, we just like walked into, you know, one PR agency after another in Hollywood. And we just got everybody based on the work that we were doing. Um, and, and had some really good strategies. We, we built kind of, um, what Athlinks became, we built this big fan site directory. So again, for the kids out there back in the nineties, like instead of putting, you know, posters on your wall, everybody was creating these fan sites for their favorite celebrities. And so at the time, two things happened. One was, um, Natalie Portman, um, somebody found her home address and posted it online. And we were contacted by um, Gavin DeBecker is like the Hollywood cybersecurity guy. And, you know, like these guys are like really super sophisticated. And I don't remember how he heard about us, but he called us and he's like, hey, can you help, you know, like hack this guy's computer and get the address <laughs> taken down? And we're like, yeah, well, let, you know, give us, yeah, give us a minute. Let's, let's see what we can do. And we emailed the guy who had posted the home address and said, hey, um, if we give you a, autographed copy of Star Wars, the one that Natalie was yep. in, the prequels, will you take it down? And he's like, oh man, I didn't realize I was doing anything wrong. Yeah, that'd be great. And so <laughs> took it down right away. Some full so request. Yeah, so we went back to Gavin and basically we didn't we didn't tell him we hacked, but we didn't- Not tell him? Didn't not tell him we, we hacked. So we solved this problem. And then um, at the same time, Brad Pitt had some um, nude photos of him leaked, like some paparazzo had taken a picture of him on the balcony. And I think it was when he was with Gwyneth. Same exact thing. Gavin contacts us. Hey, you got to get these pictures taken down. We contact the guy, said, hey, give you an inter interview with the vampire signed copy. Would you take him down? He's like, absolutely. Takes him down the next day. <laughs> it's like, so we didn't so you, like you, went for the, you went for the, the, the method of the simplest, like, just ask. Yeah, just ask. Yeah, just ask. Well, that was the funny thing is we asked them like, well, and, you know, because we were just talking before we started recording here about the whole corporate thing, you yeah. know, and what ends up happening is, so they did ask this guy with the Brad Pitt thing. And what happened was they sent him a cease and desist letter. They sent him all this legal <laughs> stuff. And this guy kept posting the cease and desist letters on his website going, look at these assholes. And so we just finally asked nicely. And just said, yep. "Hey, what do you what do you want?" And he took him down right away. So, you know, it's um, the way that lawyers think they're asking is usually not just you know, it's like, "Hey, just ask." So, yeah, we learned a lot during that. Yeah, it's, uh, just just ask, but politely. Just ask politely. Know? Yeah, exchange something you might want, and it's typically no a lawyer's letter. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because that simple thing. Um, has served me extremely well in software and in business. It's like always, 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 always opt for the easy, non-software, non, don't build anything yet. Like see if you can solve that problem with an email, with a spreadsheet, with something, you know, download a report for a customer or whatever, ver, you know, versus going and building $200,000 worth of software that'll pull a report for them, you know? Gotcha. So how long yeah. did the, that, internet the web development business last 
So that the celeb sites business was about uh, on and off about five years. And so we were still, we still had the t-shirt company for the first half of celeb sites. And so, you know, we were bootstrapping and just kind of trying to figure out like, like we didn't even realize we were building a company, you know, we were just, we were doing Dennis's website and then Denzel's and then Brad's. And it was just like, Whoa, Holy cow. All of a sudden we have this. And so that took about three years to realize like anything was really even going on. Um, and then we went out and raised money, uh, which was in some ways the best and a lot of ways, the worst thing we did. And then that took about two years to sort of <laughs> resolve itself by, uh, crashing and burning with the, um, dot-com bubble mm -hmm. bursting in, in 2000. So yeah, I also all told about five years was the time span there. And I left for like a year in the middle of it or about 11 months because I was so fried. I was just, you know, working literally like 18 hour days every day, seven days a week, getting this thing off the ground. And I just finally had like, I needed, uh, I needed a serious a mental. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I know the hard feeling. You just keep going and going and yeah. going and going up to the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day. Yeah. And it's like too late. It's like, oh, it, yeah. You know, in the the challenge too was it, this is all mid to late nineties here. Again, it it crashed in two thousand. There was no business model for the web. You couldn't easily no. you couldn't easily plug a credit card account in. Uh, in fact, one of the things that we um, a suite mate of ours, we were in this sort of like big office, kind of an early open floor plan type of thing. He owned a company where they were selling, he would license, NF, he, he owned an NFL license and then would sell, they were all sorts of like dumb novelty things, like a Detroit Lions football helmet with a bouquet of flowers in it, that type of thing. But he had a credit card um, account. So again, now you think of, this is so trivial and dumb yep. to think about. Now you go to your bank, you get a credit card, you hook it up with Stripe or Adyen or somebody else. It's, it's literally trivial at the time. You, your bank wouldn't just give you a merchant account. They just wouldn't. You you had you know collateral. You had a lot of hoops to jump through, and so we were able to leverage his credit card account to do some monetization. But so basically, what ended up happening was we were doing just I mean, a massive amounts of work, moving huge mountains for these people, and not making any money off of it. So we were on paper extremely successful. We had the portfolio of every A list celebrity in Hollywood, but we were starving. You know, we were uh, like, I had to go down to my apartment complex and like flirt with the two ladies that work, you know, the front, like to try to get them to not throw me out of my apartment every month, you know, but on the outside, everybody's looking at thinking you're killing it. That's right. Half yeah, TV is absolutely. like, you've got all these stars, the A-listers everywhere, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. you're like, please don't evict me. Yeah. And my yeah. dad, every time was like, man, I don't, I don't understand the business model here. And I'm like, oh, dad, you know, you just don't get it. You know, we, we have to achieve scale and all the bullshit that at the time everybody was throwing around, yep. you know, it's it like- It still throws it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, it, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Completely. Um, you know, but like there was no advertising model really to speak of at the time. It was all, we were just figuring it out like the best that we could and having a great time doing it. But man, it was- uh, it was really, really hard, but it was, it was, it was awesome. Like yeah. it, it was just super fun kind of figuring this whole thing out. And, um, you know, 
making mistakes that luckily, you know, you're young. I was in my early to mid twenties at the time. And so you're making these mistakes that they're not going to leave deep scars. You know, you're not, you're not risking a family yet. You're not, you know, it's like, ah, so what? So just, just a girlfriend at this time, no married, none of that kind of stuff. Actually. Yeah. Point. So when I left in the middle of this, I think part of my big stress is I meet my, what is now my wife. Yep. And so I go from like, I don't care about anything to all of a sudden I'm trying to do all of this while I may be impressing this, this, this Young woman lady. now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it just became too my, I just hit a breaking point where, you know, I think, I think had there been more straws on the camel's back, it probably would have ended in some sort of, you know, I don't know, nervous breakdown or whatever, but it was definitely a high, I mean, I was losing hair. I was, I mean, it was, it was bad. Was it that was, bad? It was really wow. yeah. Cause it was just like, I don't think I paid my rent before the 15th of the month in any given month. Like it was, you know, I mean, you were like, I was having to borrow five bucks to eat lunch a lot of days. And, and again, like you said, everybody else on the outside is looking at you going, holy shit, you guys are crushing yeah. it. You know, and we're trying to scrounge together money to fly back and forth between Phoenix and LA. And I mean, it was just crazy. Yeah. And you mean all these big ELS celebrities and they're like, hopefully they'll take me it to life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and then you're there pitching. So now it's like, well, you're supposed to be buying. By you know? name? Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. So by the time, you know, it was, it was one of those things where, Again, another great business lesson to learn is the worst time to raise money is when you have to, right? Because then yep. you're beholden. You have you can't say no. You know any negotiation, you have to be able to walk away from it. Any buying a car, buying a dryer, or raising money for a company, you have to be able to walk away from it. And we had we had really put ourselves into a situation where we we were it was tough away. to walk away. Yeah, yeah. and so we. We ended up with some good investors that were great on paper and we still, you know, we, um, they were good names, names that probably a lot of people would recognize if I said them, but I won't, but the, um, but they just weren't, um, there, there was no synergy between, it was, you know, basically what they called dumb money. These were people who didn't really understand what we were trying to do and therefore couldn't really help us in our endeavor other than throw cash in. Cash at you. And then when the cash dried up with the dot com burst, literally we just got a call one day and said, "Well, well, the money's gone." And they had they had we I think we had raised three million, but they'd put about a million and a half of cash in, so they still owed us or whatever um, owed us three uh, another million and a half, which we would have survived, but they they had lost their asses too in the in the burst. Yeah, yeah. So, that was yeah. so that's that one spun down. So what was your next spin up? So then. Um, then is really kind of like um, I did, I, I probably spent three or four years just consulting. So I did a bunch of work for Toyota and Lexus um, and brands like that, where I would just go in and I had a, a really good partner at the time um, who lives in Hermosa Beach. And he just happened to live on this street where it was like all these VPs for Toyota and like he just knew everybody. And so you know, he'd go to these, these barbecues and be talking to people. And he, anytime he heard like, oh, you know, there, there's this problem I'm trying to solve at work that kind of even remotely required some level of software, you know, he would go kind of pick their brain and then he and I would go in. Mm -hmm. So we were literally this roving twosome. We went into Toyota and did all of these like independent projects. 
for about three years until finally their IT department found out about it and shut us down. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 no. I mean, in <laughs> retrospect too, it's, it's insane that they let us do it. Like I was hosting everything on-prem or off-prem for Toyota, but you know, in my, on my own servers, we had all these Toyota trade secret. I probably shouldn't even say this, but we had like all these documents that we had like this big ISO repository that we built for them. ISO 9,000. Yep. So like, every one of their training documents and everything else we were hosting and we built all these solutions for them. And anybody is not familiar with ISO for back in the 2000s, there was a lot of documents. A lot of documents, <laughs> everything, everything isn't, you know, SOP, standard yeah. operating procedure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to sharpen a pencil, you have to re refer to the ISO 9000 document that explained yeah. how to do that. And you're also running Japanese-based companies in the US, so you're pulling all their methodologies back up. So my yeah. background was tech. So first off mm. was military, then tech. Motorola first, then mm. uh, BlackBerry. So yeah, yeah all that kind of thing. And I, and I done a wee stint with a year with a Japanese company. So I got totally exposed to that way of thinking and methodology. Yeah. And it's rock solid. Yeah, it, it works yeah. for a reason. So yeah. you're consulting yeah. for these guys, Lexus and Toyota. Um, yeah. and then somebody finds, <laughs> and somebody IT finds it. It's like yeah, and they didn't uh, really shut us down. To their credit, they they just gave us like a mountain of paperwork that we would have to fill in. Yeah, yeah. And so it was kind of like you know my because we were able to go in there because there was just two of us. There were just like one after the other, like sixty day projects. So we were able to go in there for. 20 grand and do these yeah. quick turnaround projects where, you know, like otherwise they're requisitioning, that would have been $200,000. So like yeah. full-time Deloitte type consultant coming in. Yep. Exactly. So it's, they can balance yep. that in a budget. Yep. Yeah. And so we were just easy to, you know, kind of go in there guerrilla style and just hammer these projects out. And so it was good. It was exactly kind of what I needed, frankly. It was like, I just need to break from, you know, like I went from, I went from bootstrapping a company to all of a sudden I had like 40 people reporting to me and I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I was 25 years old and, you know, it was just like, uh, okay, look, you know, I had a good product vision, but I didn't really know how to like manage, manage and lead. Yeah. And people and, you know, it, you know, there was no thought of like uh, personal or corporate development. It was just like, hey, we got to get this thing done for X and, you know, in, in this amount of time. And so I was really thrown to the wolves and it was, it was crazy. Again, you, you sort of, you know, trial by fire and, and you learn some of it, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a, be careful what you wish for. The one mm -hmm. thing that I've learned since selling Athlinks and then going into a bigger company like Lifetime is I've learned professional product management and, and people management and a lot of the things that everybody kind of rolls their eyes at. Those are important things, you know, learning how to keep people happy and develop them. And, and Some all. of them are the most important things yeah. for stability within a team and organization yeah. is like, I want to keep them happy. What keeps them yeah. happy? Yeah. Um, and through my corporate career, that was one of the ones I kind of had always had a wee bit of, shall we say, um, discussion about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's not your responsibility. Yeah. Well, it kind of is. Yeah. You know, the, the people that you work with have an active role to play in it, but you, so do you. You know, you're there to get the best out of them and make it as best you possibly can for the environment they're in because yeah. happy people and content people and joyous people actually produce better work. They do. <laughs> 
and, and and you have to, I don't care what they, what, what they do for you. Obviously the more technical, the longer it's going to take, but yep. I would say any new employee isn't worth much for the first six months they're there. They can do tasks, but they're not really truly contributing. And so every time you turn over an employee, that is, that costs so much time and money for the business. And that's something that I think a lot of people just, uh, it's like, ah, we lost a good one. Okay, well, let's start over. We can always hire another. I mean, I, we learned, we learned when we first put the whole business together on Athlings with ChronoTrack and combined three companies, we hired a ton of people. We lost a ton of people right off the bat. And it set us back a long way, two years probably where we see, just couldn't get traction. I'd seen some numbers a couple of years ago in that one. And depending on where you look, it's anywhere, and depending on the role, like you said, technical roles, leadership management, it's anywhere between 12 and 24 months yep. lost productivity and that salary revenue because, you know, the recruitment time and, you know, yep. onboarding and up to speed and the impact in the group and who's sharing all these other resources. Yeah, and you have to think is, and they were looking for what? Right. Yeah. Could you, you know? have solved that problem? Could yeah, you have solved that it? problem with a simple ask? Hey, yeah. well, I think that report with Star Wars make me okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, and, and it's it's a tough thing. We've just gone through this really, you know, I'm in, I'm right outside of Boulder in Denver, Colorado, super huge, you know, one of the top five tech markets, certainly the top 10 tech market in the country, frankly, if not the world. And so, you know, it's a buyer's market right now. I mean, it's uh, you have to keep employees very, very uh, happy. And so you have to balance that. You know, these are these a good software engineer right now is getting pinged at least once a week. To, yeah, to, to switch jobs. Yeah, wow. yeah, at least. And so, you know, you have to because if you're constantly just chasing with raises, all of a sudden your cost structure gets so out of whack on your, on your product, you know, all of us, you know, all of your money is, uh, is being eaten up by salaries because you just have to keep, you know, and that's a, that's a, you know, it's an extrinsic value, you know, like we all think salary is so important and to a certain level it is yep. obviously, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, how much happier of all the things you have to encounter in a 40 to 60 hour work week, if all things are being equal, you know, the people you work with, the conditions that you're working under in terms of, you know, max stress versus pleasantness and mm -hmm. all that, the problems that you're solving, especially for a software engineer, that's probably number one. Do you believe yep. in the problems that you're solving? Salary is fifth, sixth, tenth down on the list. And yet that's where everybody tends to focus versus saying like, are you thrashing your engineers? Are you changing your roadmap every three months? Are you allowing, you know, shit to roll downhill? Basically, are are the VPs and other people above you constantly thrashing the business? Those are things that you can't overcome with any amount of money. Yep. You know, yeah. and I like, I agree with you. A lot of people lose sight of that one. Yeah. Is that they nobody is genuinely going to show up for nothing. And you should, I used right. to get some every now and again somebody threat question. Well, you know, would you show up? No, I wouldn't they show up for nothing? Yeah, you know, it's it's an it's a fortunate aspect of the world is we need money. Yeah, right. But if you would value me for my contribution and assist me with my growth, I totally agree. Money drops way down. 
right? Yeah. And as and as long as you can pay them what they feel they're valued at, yeah, it's completely and utterly loyal. Don't be, don't lie. Be as open as you possibly can, as possibly can, because yeah. I've seen some downturns, and I'm sure you have in your time, yeah. particularly around about this day and age. Um, so yeah, so spun up the consultant, and then so this must be taking you to I know roughly the timeline. 2003 2005 time when you decide yep, to get right this there. race thing yeah yeah so so i'm i'm at this point i'm married yeah i'm married and then we are planning our first child and so the consultant thing is good and fun but again it's sort of meeting the end of its road yep. and it's kind of time to say let's go get some health insurance like let's get a a stable gig for a little while and so I went to work at um, at a at a at a college called Thunderbird University, which is like at the time was the top international business college in the world. And the the funny thing is, it's on this old Air Force base out in the like the west side of Phoenix. Okay. And I showed up, and it basically looks like a if a high school were attached to like a motor hotel. Like it was just, <laughs> I, I thought I was in the wrong place. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Uh, but I went in and interviewed. I loved the other engineers that I worked with, um, and I liked the problem. And so it was like, okay, well, it'd be nice to not have to. So between you know celeb sites and then all this consulting, it was it was hunting. You know, I had to go yep. out every day and 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 kill what I was going to eat that day. So frankly, I interviewed once, got it, and I was done. It was I probably should have gone out on ten interviews and found something better, but it was fine. It paid me what I wanted. It was. No stress. I literally walked out the door at five o'clock every day and didn't think about it until eight, you know, nine o'clock the next morning. And there's a lot to be said for that. And I don't think, yeah. I mean, you know, when we're in this, I think it's been building, it's been building for decades now, the whole hustling grind culture. Yeah. But there's a lot to be said for somewhere you can show up in the morning. Yeah. Do your thing. Yeah. Know you've done your bit and yeah. go home at five and not have to think about it. Now, yeah. see, I worked in tech, right? So, um, I apologize to all those people out there that are now attached to their smartphones for the last <laughs> X amount of their life. Yeah, the Crackberry. Yeah, that's what it was. And it was the forerunner of the iPhone and it introduced that yeah. always on, always connected type mentality. You know, it was like, you know, you could, yeah, you could lug around a laptop. But I mean, a laptop back in the early 2000s, man, you break it back with that thing. Yeah. Um, and then you get these mobile devices and it's like, doesn't matter where you are, what time, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. and in the early days of Blackberry, we used to be doing the count numbers sold. You'd count thumbs because you could double up the count, you know. Hey, number yeah. of thumbs on a Blackberry, you know, and uh, definitely changing times. But there is definitely some maybe say to the idea you can walk away at five, yeah, because it lets you focus on the other things in your life, yeah. And having been through corporate, like you say, I was thinking about it this morning before we, we jumped on here, was I used to be fit. I used to be, right? And I mean, many people may be listening going, oh, when was that, Donnelly? When was that? <laughs> um, but mm. through choice, and I actually met my wife, and I have an Athlink result, and it's, it wasn't the Athlink back then, I don't think, from 2003. Oh, yeah, we had Venture Race at the time. Right? And yeah. then I think it'll get uploaded in. So it was the first one of the first Nike 10K runs in Toronto. Oh, nice. At the time. And I'm no a runner. Mm play soccer, play volleyball, you know, um, I could never get past that 15 minute mark, like just for running, uh -huh. even in the military. Yeah. It's like, oh, I hate this. I don't want to be this, 
You know, it's like, how many yeah. more minutes do I need to go? <clears throat> yeah. So I met my, my wife at a friend's place. Um, at a cottage just, well, I say Lake Ontario. Um, and she's chatting away and she's chatting away. She's like, oh, I'm going to do this Toronto 10K. Are you in? And I'm like, nah, can't, nah. They started talking about things like triathlons. I'd always wanted to do a triathlon. Yeah. And I know, be something I heard about you, that was one of the things that kind of kicked you off. I don't yeah. know if you've ever done one yet. I haven't. <laughs> Yeah, but I've done several, yeah. Yeah, she challenged me to this uh, Toronto 10K, and I'm like, nah, nah, yeah. nah. And, like, literally the Thursday before the run, I signed up. And I'm like, what am I signing up for? I'm like, And it's, like, 6 o'clock in the morning, it's starting. I am have to yeah. get to Toronto, which is, like, a 110, 120-kilometer drive. It's not a big deal. There's great yeah. highways up here, <clears> or in the Toronto area. And Hannah's like, well, why don't you stay at my house? I'm like, you sure? She's like, yeah, sure. I'm going to a party the night before. Well, that wasn't a good idea either. Uh Yeah. So I heard in one of your podcasts, you were talking to somebody about when you take that race, you get into the race and you're like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this again. But you get to the end, it's like, okay, when's the next one? Let's sign us all up. And at the end of this 10K, we were all sitting, it was myself, a couple of Hannah's friends, and we're sitting at the end and this woman comes up. Women must have been early 50s at the time. And she's like, so you're signing up for the Scotia Half Marathon? I'm like, no chance. Yep. Next week, signed up for yeah. the Scotia Half Marathon. That's I had an way. ankle thing on, I had everything. And I, I'm still not a runner. But I managed to get it in under two hours. Yeah. And now my next athlete was about three years ago when I went and done a Spartan. Mm. Now, I'm not nice. out of shape. I only could do the sprint. But I decided to do a sprint yeah. on a ski hill. Yeah. That's just no wise. No. And, <laughs> and and I don't like to quit. I will not quit. Right? Yeah. And my kids thought I had a heart attack. I was disappeared for that long at one point. Yeah. They send you way up the hill and they send you way back around about. It's like, where's dad? There's this, where's dad? I think he's dead. <laughs> yeah, that's quite an experience. You know? And um, but what I have put down is uh, one of the things is and as a dad, I, I think you need to show up for as best you can as the person you want them to be. And yeah. I've been, that's one of the areas I'm lacking just now. So a uh, good thing is I'm doing 18 pounds this month and the last is that's still a long way to go. Yeah. But in my journal every other day or every day, depending on what I'm writing is I want to complete a Spartan trifecta. Okay. Now, thank God for the COVID. <laughs> yeah. It's been any this year. Gave you a year to think about it, right? Or at least yeah. train for it. <laughs> I think, you know, you can manage a sprint with no training, but getting up to that beast level, no. it's Yeah, the beast is a different uh, beast, so yeah, to speak. Completely, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I, you know, I mean, I think it's like anything else. Um, you know, you have to, you have to find, you have to identify your limitations so that you can overcome them. And whether that's, you know, mechanical issues, whether it's metabolism issues, whether it's a desire, if you don't have the desire, don't do it. Like people who, you know, kind of go into these things and they, like, I'm not a big bucket list guy, you know, it's like, I either want to do it or I don't want (laughs) to do it. There's no, there's no placards up that are like, oh, I did that thing. It killed me, but I did it just to do it. I don't want to be that guy. I want to do, I'll do the thing. There there are too many things that I want to do. I want to do something that I don't really want to do genuinely passionately and then you just got to put a plan together for for overcoming those things you know that's the that's the that's the hardest part in any of this stuff is is like people just don't they don't seem to want to put in the work 
ahead of time and then they blame everything else. And, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a thousand other reasons why I can't do something or why somebody else can do something or whatever. It's just like, Hey, just figure out what you want to do and put the plan together to go do it. Quit talking about it. Um, that is my biggest pet peeve are people who just talk, 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 talk about the thing they want to do. And it's just like, Jesus, just go do it. Just stop talking and go do something. Yeah. That's the planning thing and creating that vision of that, what you want. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to make excuses. It's hard to put in the work. Yeah. You know, and and I, I mean, I'm, I was guilty. I was guilty for years. You know, I was, I put so many things ahead of me, you know, family, life, business, career, yeah, and that other stuff goes away and you just keep seeing yourself one day, next day, next day, and it just piles up and piles up and piles up. <laughs> so I use this term, harmony, a buddy of mine gave me it because it beats balance, right? Because there ain't no such thing as balance, right? That's true. That it is, is, true. It's like music. It's, it's an ebb and flow. Yeah. So how are you finding that harmony? Because I know you went for a 13-mile run in the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, um, so I'm training for a 50 mile run right now. So I turn 50 this, I will turn 50 this year. So I'm going to, uh, try to do my first 50 mile run. I've always been a little bit of a binger. So I, I have always found, I, I love what you just said about harmony versus balance. I have never one time felt balanced. I will always either be a little bit more into training or a little bit more into work. And really those are my two, like my hobbies really for the last 20 years have been writing software for the endurance industry or training for races. Like it's, I need some distance here. Um, but I, I have never, I'm not happy when I'm balanced. I, I always yep. feel like the, the, the needle has to go to one side or the other side. And it's when I'm most productive because otherwise, like it's, I'm either, I'm either like super hyper-focused, very um, creative and like just like my brain is just on fire and I'm doing just enough training to maintain. Just don't let me get too far out of shape. Gotcha. Don't let me, you know, um, don't, 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 don't make me start from zero. Yeah. Cause it's hot. <laughs> yeah. And that'll usually last a few months. And it's not seasonal. I don't know. I've never been able to sort of pinpoint why it happens, but I just get on fire. I just get like, just again, super creative. And that's when I do my best work. And then it literally just one day I wake up and it flips to the other side where I'm like, okay, work-wise, I'm going to do just enough maintenance to keep, keep the trains moving. But then I'm just all about, let me just go hammer at the gym and run and swim and bike and just really get, you know, phenomenal shape or whatever and then it'll flip and it just it's just the way that my all goes back and forth i mean it's again i think that for any that is listening is just you have to understand you and what works for you right and i mean there's one i haven't heard before it's like yeah i'll go one way for work but maintain just enough yeah you know because i think i don't want to start that zero again and then when i feel like i need to back off I'm backing it off. And you like you said, it's literally I wake up in the morning and go, done enough of that. Yeah. I'm going back to that. Yeah. I tried to fight it forever and I tried to balance it out. And it and I found that what would end up happening was I would I'd go to the gym. Uh, I remember several times I literally I would go to the gym. I would sit down at a bench. 
I would do like three reps, re-rack the weight and walk out of the gym because I, my head was just like, just in the right place. The whole time I'm, I'm solving a problem. I'm like, Oh, I well, wait a second. <laughs> if I write the software, like, and then I just, I figured out, boom, and I got to get out and I got to go sit in front of my laptop and write that piece of code or whatever it was. Um, and then vice versa, where I would be sitting there trying to write code, driving my head up against a wall. Yep. And all I can think about is I just want to go ride my bike. That's all I want to do. And so, and I do the same thing with my employees where, you know, it's like, look, if you have to take a day off, go take the day off. I'm not going to ding you for vacation or whatever. Like go skiing, go on a mountain bike ride. If that's where your head is, it, you're, you're literally just, you know, you, you are pushing a boulder uphill that you will not get up the hill and you're going to burn. You're not just burning that time. You're not just burning that hour. No, it's more as a double impact on that one. Big time. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it, it pays compound negative returns on that because now they, now they missed the ride and they didn't get productive at work. And then they, you're going to take that with them. And then like you mentioned sleep and, you know, all these other things, yeah. it's like all of these things start to compound. So I think, I think knowing yourself and again, those around you so that you can recognize in your people, like, Hey, mm-hmm. out, go take a day off. Like, don't worry about it. I'm not babying you, but I'm just saying like, cause I know myself, you know, like just go do it. Like the, the work never stops. No, it's never going away. <laughs> it never stops. And I think a lot of people, again, in the corporate world and any, even in an entrepreneurial space where you're more than you and your own is there's a difference between busy and productive. Yeah. And you can sit at work where you know, think I should be skiing and yeah. look busy, but it doesn't mean you're productive. No. Now, so you're in Boulder. So how, how's, where's the closest mountains? Now, I know I can see it because I've seen one of your pictures. It's literally your yeah. back door. Yeah. Are you a skier, border? I'm not a skier or a border. No. Um, no. You know, I grew up in, I was born in Miami. I grew up in Phoenix. I never got the bug. And now, you know, it's kind of like, it's like, I like getting good at things. And so oh, gotcha. I still, I'm still, I got, I got a lot of room on the mountain bike before I get where I want to be on that side. Um, and I'm getting to an age and I hate to say this because uh, I would have knocked on wood. I went 49 years. I never, you know, I've wrestled, play football, baseball, triathlon. I did everything like super aggro trail running, you know, down mm-hmm. steep, jagged stuff. I never one time got appreciably injured, never broke a bone, never, ne- nothing. And this year in November, I detached my bicep doing judo. And so I have sort of hit this age now where it's not that I'm worried about getting injured, it, but I am doing the calculus in my head of risk, <laughs> risk versus reward. As a, as a software engineer. Yeah. And it's like, look, I know, again, with wrestling and all that stuff, I can wipe. I, I've, I've wrecked on my bike easily 500 times. Easily. I never came away with a major. Yeah. And, wow. And I'm, and I can roll through. And again, I think, I think it's just those years of football and wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's like I can roll through and stuff. I'm not confident on skis that I could not blow a knee out or something with like, you know, clipped into skis. Yeah. And I don't have some massive desire to do it. And that's yeah. the thing. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not like fighting myself going, oh man, you really want to, don't be yeah. afraid. It's just like, I could literally take it or leave it. And so for me, it's just not worth the risk if, if I'm going to blow my knee out and not be able to run. Cause if I can't run, I yeah. can't be sane. Running is what where I get all my sanity from. I love mountain biking, but running is really the my therapist. 
And so I don't ever like to do things that will risk that. So I was going to say, outside the running community, everybody's going, you're mental. Yeah, probably. <laughs> running to where you get your therapy. But yeah. I, I, when I was running these years and years ago, and I need to get back in, because there ain't no way you can complete a trifecta unless you're running. Right. Is that once you get through that pain point, yeah. there's something just happens. There's a clarity. Yeah. And I know you mentioned trails um, and the outdoors, and this is no treadmill running for you. This is being outside running i do a lot of treadmill running unfortunately but yeah, yeah i um i do love i mean ugh, my god i mean i'm really thankful or i'm fortunate whatever I, I growing up in phoenix and being able to run camelback mountain south mountain you know uh four peaks all these great desert trails that are just so beautiful you know go up into sedona places like that and run so that's what i called home for 40 years or so and then now to be, you know, just outside of Boulder. So that picture that, you know, the pictures that I posted yep. this weekend, you know, that's 15 minutes from my house. Um, you know, just an easy, easy little drive over to the Boulder Reservoir, ran around there for a while. And so it's, it's like, you know, I mean, I can't complain, man. I, I got some great trails. And, and I think the thing for me with running is I was never good, you know? So like, I don't, I know a lot of people who ran collegiately or, yep. you know, and, and they're, I played guitar growing up and I used to be really good at guitar. And now when I pick up a guitar, I hate it because I don't, I can't do what I used to do. Ah. And so I empathize with these guys that used to run and, you know, be able to bust out five minute mile after five minute mile after five minute mile. I never had that problem. Like I, I don't care what my pace is really, you know, I was always a fast sprinter, but as a distance runner, I was never good. So I'm, I have no frame of reference to sort of hold myself there. So I just love running. I don't care if I run fast, if I run slow, if I want to throw in some speed work or what, it just doesn't matter. Uh, so that's me. interesting because listening to you, I would have thought, you know, you talked about if I can't get good at it and I can't master it, mm -hmm. no interested. It's more but skill we, than... But we're running, it's like you're not necessarily concerned yeah. with that level of mastery it has something completely different in your yeah. soul for you yeah Would that be yeah. fair to say for me it's like um being able to do certain things so like mountain biking being able to do certain technical trails and things like that just from a technique standpoint but i don't um you know like i wouldn't do i wouldn't care where i finished in a race like leadville yeah. Just the, 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 and, and again, it's not a bucket list thing. Like, Oh, as long as I finish, I accomplish. I don't, I'm not that guy either. I don't give a shit about just finishing. Like I, I want to do my best. Don't get me yes. wrong. Um, but I'm not gonna like, as long as I can do the things and I'm getting better and it's, you know, you sort of achieve that mastery. Um, and part of this is just, look, I'm, I have to be real about, you know, I'm, I'm, almost 50 and I'm not going to be able to run, you know, like at the front of the pack and in, in these big races and stuff. So I just sort of have to look at what, what is right for me and then set these, um, um, uh, these, these goals for myself, I guess, you know, yeah. so like if it's this, you know, um, single track section that I can't clear, you know, over the course of a few weeks, it's all go back out there and I'll just, you know, keep hitting and keep hitting until I can clear it consistently. And then, okay, I mastered that and, you know, that type of thing. So, you yes, know, I, I, I always want to get better, but yeah, I think, you know, 
And then but you're splitting it down to those smaller wins as well and saying, yeah, I'm gonna do that. And I know how to do that. I need to focus on getting it done. Yeah. And I think, you know, we were talked about it how the general public approach problems and issues and that like if it's too hard, they're not doing that. They're not splitting any of those right. smaller tasks. They're no they're not prepared to take the pain. No, I, I had um, Ellen Falterman, who's uh, Ellen Magellan uh, Adventures or Expeditions, Ellen Magellan Expeditions, I think, on Instagram. And she's, you know, early 20s. She's embarking in the next year on a solo row around the world. I mean, this, this woman is just amazing. She's awesome. And the funny thing was she, she had inherited this 3Ds philosophy and she misheard it. When, when she, when she had actually had that. Yeah. And so what it was is the three D's, it was, I don't remember the lady who kind of imparted it in her, but she misunderstood it, which then when I heard her speak, I was like, that's it. And that's what actually got me inspired to go do a 50. And it was first is desire. You have to have the desire. That's a no brainer. She said, second is decision. Make the decision and the commitment. Mm -hmm. And then third, do the details. And her, her, her mindset was like, once you've made the decision, you'll figure out the details, yep. but don't sweat them. Well, then she went back to, she was doing like a Ted talk kind of thing. And so she went back to the source and said, Hey, I just want to make sure that, you know, I can use this. And she said, well, you can use it, but you got it wrong. The details come second. And Ellen's like, Oh, I don't <laughs> like that. Then you just get bogged down in the details, yeah. you know? And which I agree with, you know, so I'm, I will try anything like I, I will, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely that kind of guy where, you know, it's like yesterday I wasn't doing something and then tomorrow I'm doing it and I'm throwing my whole body into it uh, because I hate the idea of waiting and trying to figure out. Like, yeah. I, I like the mixed up version myself. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like totally. If I start, I mean, I'm a big planner. Don't think it should need, tackle just and without really some kind of plan but if you get stuck in the plan before you make some kind of decision then yeah. you'll plan yourself out in action well and guess what a lot of stuff sucks and you won't like it once you do it so if yeah. you sit there and you waste six months of planning versus just go try it and you might hate it or you might love it you might absolutely so if you want to go mountain yep. biking don't don't wring your hands for a year go borrow someone's bike or go rent one at the local bike shop and go mountain biking and if you wreck, you wreck. And if, you know, maybe you didn't like the wrecking part, but you liked everything else <laughs> leading into it and then just get better, you know, but yeah. don't, don't sit there. I mean, you know, God, I know so many people who sit there and you've heard this. Everybody's heard their buddy at a cocktail party going, you know, oh yeah. You remember Facebook? Like that was, I had that idea first. It's like, hey, well, <laughs> ideas are cheap. Execution is expensive. Yeah. You and know. painful and time consuming. Yeah. And yeah. it has a lot of ups and downs with it, as you yeah. know. So, you know, so you're a runner now. You like your mountain biking. Yeah. And I'm guessing most of that is when you hit spring, summer, autumn. The winters are your indoor thing. Yeah, I do. Um, well, again, this this winter, I was, uh, the plan was to do a lot of judo until uh, I got caught in an armbar. And yeah, I just Ouch. detached, clean. Luckily, it was clean. So the surgery was very successful. So almost all the way back. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'll do, I do some treadmill running in the, in the, um, in the winter. Nice thing with Colorado is there's, 
you can probably run 70% of the time in the winter. Really the can only you? time you, yeah, you, the only time you really can't, like you can rain, you can run in the snow, you can run on fresh <laughs> snow, you can't run on melting snow no. where you're just going to trash the trail. So other than those melt days, everything else is, I mean, yeah. It's funny, gr- growing up in Phoenix, like I would not, I would never get <laughs> a bike under 60 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is for. It's probably uh, too cold. Yeah, like 60s, under 60. Yeah. It's probably yeah. a, bit, a bit under 15 degrees. Yeah, so yeah, something about. you just wouldn't. There was no reason to. It was like, oh, man, that's going to be crazy. Now, I mean, I'll, I'll very often ride my bike in 10 degrees, you know, yeah. down to zero, like, yeah, whatever, it's freezing. As long as there's no ice, you can ride. And then as long as the snow's not too thick, you can yep. ride. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you know, because if you hide from, it was the same thing in Arizona. I would run when it was 115 degrees out. And people would tell you you're crazy for that one you're as well. crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would run at like one o'clock in the afternoon on a 115 degree day. You know, like out in the middle of the desert, no one around. And I loved it because it was like, I like, again, I'm not fast. And so I look for those little superhero yeah. things that nobody else can do. So I can endure pain in that regard better than most people. So yeah, if it's cold, if it's super duper hot, I feel like those are the times where if you can, because that's all mental, you know. Yep. You can you can overcome that. So, so when's your 50? It, well, this 50 I'm signed up for is in July. I'm dealing with a pretty, and, and it's, it, I've always been really good at running through um, injury and it, and it sort of, my body will tend mm-hmm. to adapt. Right now I'm having some really, like a serious IT band issue that is not going away. I've got a gal coming out to the house on Wednesday to take a look and see, see if um, it's something to worry about. Uh, you know, that needs to be yeah. fixed, you know, cause I'm, it might be actually stemming from like a heel spur cause I've got really bad plantar fasciitis in that side. And then it's just radiating up. Um, so the compensation. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that she can, get, I'm hoping it's not that, that it's just some weird physiological things that she can help strengthen. And then I'm good to go. Um, Leadville or silver rush is in Leadville. So you're at, uh, you started about 10,000 feet and I don't know what that is in meters, 3,500 meters or something. I deal with feet. Yeah. So you go up to about 13,500 feet, very, you know, technical mm-hmm. terrain, a lot of climbs. So, uh, it's not an easy race by any stretch. I've done the heavy half up there, which is about a 15 and a half mile run and loved it. So, um, if I don't do Silver Rush, again, if my body holds up, that's the first one that I'm doing. Um, there's some really good 50s um, in Phoenix that I'm going to probably go down and do there, or in Arizona at least. Gotcha. So it's yeah. it's no, it sounds like it's not if, it's just at some point It'll happen in my year. 50th year, I'm hitting yeah. 50. Yeah, that's what yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting told. that race in. <laughs> the PT that I was talking to that who's actually coming out, because uh, I posted on Facebook and she she answered right away. And it's like, hey, let me, you know, let me take a look. And I said, okay, let me say this up front. <laughs> I'm doing a 50 this year. So if you're not the type who can sort of just like, I don't care what you got to do. If Get me put, ready for this. Yeah. Like we're going to go to Home Depot and throw some screws in my hip or whatever. <laughs> like we'll figure this out some way, but I don't, I don't want to be told a month from now, you shouldn't do yeah. this. Like, don't ever tell me that. I won't, that I won't listen to. So she's like, no, we'll, we'll get you, we'll get you there. So um, yeah, I've got a buddy back in the UK who's 
Tracy's ultramarathon stuff, mostly through Europe. So yeah. uh, watch him. And yeah. the weather's definitely not the same as it is in Phoenix. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I've got, do you know who, um, Edharanan Finn? No, it's no one of the names. So he's a, he's a writer. He wrote, um, I think it's Running with the Canyons and then Rise of the Ultra Runner. Um, I, I know the books. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's from your neck of the woods up there. Um, and I'm having him on the podcast next week. And what I loved about him is, is like the Dean Carnasses and all these other people. And, you know, Dean tells a story about how he finished like the 125 mile race and met his family at the amusement park and rode the rides and stuff. It's like, that's, that's like, I can't relate. You're not, <laughs> you're not giving me anything useful. Um, at Haranon, however, is, you know, he's just more of like a, I mean, he's a fast runner. He was a sub three hour marathoner and, you know, he was a good runner um, before he got into ultras. But, you know, as he tells these stories, you realize he's, he's just like you and me. He's just, you know, just a guy kind of figuring it out. And, you know, again, talented. I don't want to take anything away from him, but not superhuman. You know? Yeah. And I, and I think that's the other one we have to keep in mind is like, the talent versus the superhuman thing. You're looking at the guy, he says, he says, he goes and yeah. does 125 and it's like, oh, I'm going to the amusement park, my family. Yeah. Anybody just that number for 99.99% of people go, yeah, what? Yeah. I don't even want to go to the amusement park, my family. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Never mind yeah. doing 125 beforehand. Yeah. So that does yeah. throw it out there. But I think that there's, that then is the same kind of thing that you see so much in social media and all the rest is that unfair comparison. Yeah. It's like, you need to bring yourself back a bit and find yeah. the real people telling the real stories yeah. about what it's really like and says, and, and adjust your course to think, I want to be more like that guy yeah. than I need to be like that guy. Yeah. You know, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. yeah I mean, look, I, lo I love your style of podcast here where it's, it's sort of like um, half informative, half inspirational, where it's, it's, it's really about kind of holding up, um, a mirror um, and a lens to the to the outside world of saying like where do I fit in with all of this stuff you know especially as we get older you know I'm sure you can look at your I'm 52 in three days and so but think about but think about your parents or think about yeah. your your grandparents think about them at 52 years old how old they looked how oh my god yeah would they have been sitting here doing a podcast and then talking about doing Spartan trifectas and yep. things like that, right? And so this whole thing is, and this, you know, you can you can talk all day long about life expectancies um, increasing and all this stuff. Yeah, but a lot of these people are held together by pharmaceuticals and have mm -hmm. no quality of life whatsoever. I want That's to be key. living. I want yes. to be living. I want to be 70 years old. I want to be 80 years old. Maybe not mountain biking, but I want to be able to do those things and be doing some version of them that fits my arthritic, you know, riddled body. But I want to be active. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be sharp. You know, my dad is 75, still hasn't retired. You know, he's a stockbroker in Miami, still goes hard. And, Does know, he? He does tactical um, tactical shooting competitions where he's, oh, you know, rolling around on the ground, yeah. jumping over cars and stuff. Yeah, he's... You know, and so he'll and be embracing that computer age now if he's still in the stock broke up at 75. Yeah, yeah, no, he's doing great. So it's, you know, my mom goes for long walks every day. And, you know, and the funny thing was my mom, not funny, my both of my grandmothers 
so maternal and paternal, both died of some version of Alzheimer's, dementia, mm -hmm. et cetera. And when my mom was getting ready to retire, she was a nurse, a psych nurse, and then went into administration. She was working graveyards at the last, for the last like three years. It was a massive cognitive decline, massive in those two years or three years um, to the point, you know, we would go over to her house and um, she would greet us. And then five minutes later, greet us again, because she had forgotten that she greeted us. Wow. And yeah. And so my wife and I, uh, you know, my wife is a nutritionist and is deeply, deeply into health. Um, we just started just begging her, like, you got to drink more water. You have to get sleep. You have to yeah. start eating better, et cetera. You have to start getting exercise. Exercise was top of the list. And I will say that was 10 years ago. And she is sharper now, far and away than she was when she was working. But she um, threw herself into that graveyard shift in the yeah, 16, yeah. man. That's, yeah. I mean, I've done shifts throughout the years, days, nights, or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I'll attribute some to maybe why I'm an insomniac. Mm. But I used to take it as a superpower. I've said yeah. this before, and I'll probably say it. Right. Like, yeah, I can, I can work yeah. like that. Yes. Right. You know, yeah. and when you're younger, I can party too. Yes. Mm. But it takes its toll. It does take its uh, toll. You know, uh, mentally, physically, cognitively, I mean, a whole bunch yeah. of different things. You know, yeah. it really does knock you on your ass. Um, but one of the things I've been experimenting recently, so like you're saying, is like stacking things up. And that's what I'm a great believer in, is like you have to stack it. But I think too often people want the solution. It's like, no, what works for me doesn't necessarily yeah. work for you. I can give you all the ingredients to the recipe. Yeah. But you have to put it together for you, how yeah. it works, and you have to try things. So one of the ones, I read James Nestor's book a couple of months back, um, and there was just something twigged in it for me. Back then, I'm like, about when you'd done the experiment between mouth breathing and nasal breathing. Mm. And I'm like, I wonder if that would work with my sleep. Mm. So what I started doing is I started taking my mouth shut, which I'm sure oh, my wife okay. loves. And using the breathe right strips. And I have seen a 25% improvement almost day on day in my deep sleep. Wow. My pulse rate is more flat. And my pulse rate, my overall average nightly pulse rate is going down. That's awesome. Right? Wow. And I've struggled with insomnia for 20 plus years and no drugs, no medication, no meditation. Yeah. None of the alternative stuff seems to work. The biggest thing change has been this. Mm. That and one of the ones Huberman talks about, early exposure to daylight, yeah, as early as possible, yeah. um, and trying to keep that cycle later at night. They're the yeah. two biggest things so in 20 years, two things that cost nothing, they're no pharmacological. They're a bit weird. You have to tape your mouth shut at night to go to bed. Yeah. But if it's improving your sleep, and it's, I think, one of the things we, we're only really starting to get a handle on is the effect that sleep has on us overall for your yeah. recovery and all the rest. Yeah. So uh, cognizant of time, again, uh, yeah, anything good. I haven't touched on that you think, as you said, it was around gamut. I mean, some of the points here have been absolutely awesome about how you've got to experiment in life. You've got to yeah. figure out what works for you. Um, and you've got to be one to do it when you're 80. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the, you know, the, the older I get, the... <sighs> there's no catharsis in copy and paste. You know, there's like doing things that other people have done and just repeating those things are there. There's no, 
there's nothing life-changing about doing those things. You have to, like we said earlier on, you have to sort of understand who you are. You have to, I think, spend time on figuring out who you are, what makes you happy, why you do the things that you do. If you're doing things to get Instagram followers, and that's the means, you know, it's not to say that Instagram followers are bad. If they come as a symptom of you chasing a dream, that's great. If you're waking up every day going, this is what I'm going to do, and my goal is to get Instagram followers, and you're only feeding your vanity um, and apply that analogy to whatever it is you're doing, whatever your version of Instagram followers, this total vanity metric versus mm-hmm. something that's real, you won't succeed. You'll fail. You will burn out. You will make the wrong decisions for the wrong reasons. You know, you, you, you will find that you will never be happy until you start spending time on figuring out who you are. And by no stretch have I figured it all out. You know, I don't, I don't mean to, to say that, but I know, I know the things that make me tick. I know the things that make me happy. I'm finding more of them every day and doing less of the things that don't make don't, me happy mm-hmm. every day. Um, and once you start really wrapping your head around that, you start to you really start to find what happiness and what joy really is. And you, you leave a whole world behind that just frankly, I think we're all chasing in some way, shape or form. Now, look, there, there are people who are deeply, deeply, deeply interested in money and status and fame and all that's what feeds their soul and go do it. Go do it. Yep. Go I have no it. problem with that. If that's what feeds yeah. their soul, good for them. Yeah. I have long ago figured out how much money it takes to make me happy. And uh, it's not much (laughs) as it turns out. It's not what I thought it was. You know, I mean, when I was doing the celeb site stuff, you know, we thought we were going to sell that business for a hundred million dollars. And there was a part of me felt that felt like that was the only way I would ever be happy. Yeah. And then you, you know, you get, you get a professional, you get a career going, you start making some money and you realize, eh, okay. I'm a little happier because I can, you know, it's not, it's not that the money is making you happy. It's maybe you can afford the, you know, the better mountain bike or another vacation a year, that type of thing. It's the experience that it can bring you. Yeah. But if you're grinding yourself down to a nub 360 days a year for the five days of enjoyment that you get to take a nicer vacation, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like you got to love what you're doing at least at least a couple hundred days out of the year, you've got to really love what you're doing. This you know? <laughs> is not pure piece of wisdom. At least for about two thirds of the year, have you seen you got to love it the entire time? Yeah, right. And I think there's that thing in society. Where, oh, you got to love it all the no. Yeah, life can be yeah. shit at times, and you have to take that hardship, and you have to be able yeah. to roll with those punches. Yeah, you know. And and look, I mean, you know, everything takes friction. You know, your senses take friction. You know, if you you could be in a room full of the most delicious smelling food, if you don't breathe in and out, you won't smell it. Mm-hmm. It takes that friction. Um, and like anything else, sharpening a blade, sharpening uh, an intellect, a wit, a skill, it requires hard work. Yep, It just does. And you can love the hard work, but sometimes you won't. You know, sometimes you won't love the training hours, but you love the racing hours. And so I think, yeah, like chasing when you're trying to figure out why you're not happy 365 days a year, but you're, you are finding consistent happiness in your life. You're on to something. Yeah. Figure out why, if you can't find it 365, figure out why you're happy one day. 
And yeah. if you can figure out why you're happy one day, build in yeah. that one. Because yeah. it's probably trying to tell you something. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, you know, uh, if you're if you're not happy doing what you're doing and you're not making money doing it, stop doing it right now. Turn off this podcast and stop doing that thing right now. And because you're not making any money anyway. Right. How um, did you know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, but it's, you know, if you're not familiar with him, he's a guy also in, in your, uh, I mean, I say your neighborhood, in your country, um, Danny Bent. Are you familiar with Danny? No. Did, yeah. if, if it's fitness in that side of things, like. Yeah. Danny's yeah. a really, he was on the, the Athlings podcast a couple of weeks ago. And here's a guy, he was in London. He finished a run with a girlfriend of his and he turned on the radio and they were talking about the Boston bombing, the bombing that yep. happened during the Boston marathon and within a week. And here's a guy who, you know, I mean, he literally like he had a couple of dollars saved for the tax man and he immediately invested that into raising money for Boston marathon survivors and those affected. And he arranged the one run for Boston, which was this marathon or sorry, a, a relay from California, Santa Monica, I think, all the way to Boston on the other side of the United States. There's a guy from London. He didn't even know any Americans. Yep. And he did it. And, you know, he's kind of self-professed. Like, he doesn't make a lot of money. Like, the, his running, his adventure life, the things that he does, he just put together like a 20-person a um, uh, adventure to Iceland where they ran across north to south um, across Iceland. That's some inhospitable country. Just to do, yeah, but it's, but he is one of the happiest people I have ever met in my life, ever. And I will, I don't know what he makes. I don't think he's not a wealthy man, not, not financially, but spiritually and emotionally insanely wealthy. Yeah. And so again, and, and there were people I'm sure that would never be happy doing that. So don't copy Danny, find those things that make you happy. Find the thing that Danny found. Yeah. He, it's his harmony. You know, that's, yeah. he's, that, he's playing his tune. And yeah. I think that's what a lot, is, a, lot, a lot of people don't want to do. They don't want to play their own tune. Yeah. They're too busy trying to play somebody else's. And, and, and oftentimes that somebody else's is key, right? It's that if you are with a boyfriend or a girlfriend who then doesn't see things the way that you see them, that's another change you might have to make. You know, like find, find uh, again, like some friction is good and some friction is not so good. If you're constantly fighting you know, if you if every day is a fight for your own happiness, then that is not that is not healthy either. You have to end up in a relationship where, you know, you have shared values and shared, uh, you know, um, you don't have to share every single hobby. Yeah, My wife and I have very different hobbies, but we're definitely on the same page when it comes to the fundamentals. Yeah, I found that one at the hard way. Uh, you know, first time around, young, but second one definitely make choices, make different choices. So. Yeah, excellent. I mean, I know you went a wee bit over, but I'm conscious of your hard stuff. I want to make sure you get to your next thing. You know, you're running a business that's global, so you know, all good. Yeah, happy to do it. Yeah, it was great chat. So, me. where can people find you if they want to find out more? You know, yeah, um, so, inspired by your runs and stuff like that. Um, you know, I don't know how how inspiring my runs will be, but if you want to look at some beautiful boulder landscapes and some some great trails in the in northern Colorado, you'll see a lot of those. Um, I'm at Troy Busso, T-R-O-Y-B-U-S-O-T on Instagram. I don't really use Twitter. I've got an account, but I don't yeah, find it. I've got an account. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. So um, Instagram is probably the best place. And then Athlinks is at Athlinks. Um, and, and you've then, got your own yeah. podcast, the Athlinks as well. Yep. The Athlinks yep. podcast. And we talk to a lot of great, uh, um, you know, people doing similar things and, and just achieving, um, you know, finding their own happiness and, and uh, yeah. people who are a lot faster than me. <laughs> but uh, yeah. But yeah, I said, I mean, they said finding the happiness. Yeah, that's uh, th this podcast has been actually one of the things that has made me most happy in a long time was the. I didn't realize how much I missed just having conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was Joe Rogan who was talking about, it was either Joe Rogan or Rich Roll. I listened to both of those podcasts. It was Joe Rogan. And he was talking about what he loves about him doing his podcast is, he said it's for him, they're like three hour shows. He said, but it's three hours a day. I'm not on my phone. I'm not on the laptop. I'm sitting across from somebody and I'm just having a conversation. Yeah, I and love it, that. it goes yeah. anywhere with Joe as well. And that was kind of one of the inspirations. Yeah. Like, I realized he, there's no way when he went to the, like the daily stuff that he's mm -hmm. sitting prepping and all the questions. Oh. It's like basic stuff, what you know, and then just let the conversation roll. And he's yeah. really, really good at it. You yeah. know, just teasing stuff out and, you know, it can have a laugh. And yeah, it's phenomenal. And I think I, that's entertainment. You know, it's, but it's also educational. It's also inspirational. It's like it covered all the gamuts for me. So he's one of the ones I kind of really like. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wonder if it's a little bit nostalgic for us. <laughs> Seriously. Like, really? I mean, or because watching, we grew because up nobody, with conversation and story. Yeah. Because nobody talks anymore, it seems. Not, not to that level. You know, I mean, even when you turn on, you know, talk shows or the news or, you know, there are these uh, two, three minute, uh, segments where mm -hmm. nothing really substantive ever gets discussed. And I think that's one of the things that I love about podcasting is these, um, you know, these long form conversations where, um, you know, you can, you can stumble upon some rabbit hole and then just go and break out the shovels and just dig, 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 and get super deep into something. And the crazy thing is, you know, when you, you get to the end of one of these, I've had several of these hour and a half long conversations. And then by the end, you're just like, oh, we got to talk again. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't even feel like we've scratched the surface yet. No, I'm like, we haven't really talked about family and yeah. dad stuff and how you deal with your kids. I mean, the bits in there, I'm thinking like, like is he imparting that wisdom in the kids? And how is that happening? And, yeah. you know, where's that balance coming? And I've got questions about, you know, you're wasting nutritionist and do your kids do sport? Because one of the things my son was yesterday at uh sports science place the local just and they're doing they're trying to put together a paper for swimmers and i'm trying to encourage them to be more nutritious in the way he eats because i'm like you're not going to get to the level you want to get to that's right unless you get your nutrition dialed in i don't care yeah. how many days we've got you swimming or land training we need to get your nutrition dialed in no nope. i want cheesy pasta like sausages <laughs> you know stuff yeah. like that and yeah. I'm, I'm starting to look at it and like how do i get them into that yeah, you know, again, there would be a call. How do you get yeah. your kids in here? You know, yeah, you've got, I think you get three kids, two, two, two. Um, you know, so does your wife work in that? So, I mean, I'd love to explore that sort of thing. Yeah, you well, know? we'll have to book another, uh, yeah, we'll have to book another show. Absolutely amazing. It, it's glad I decided to take the route I'm taking. It'd been absolutely awesome and interesting and just open and let it flow. Thank you very, Thank very, you. very much, sir.
Um, pleasure is all mine. You're very good at this. I enjoyed talking to you and uh, yeah, hundred percent. I'm glad you reached out. And uh, I know I, I had to cancel last week because we had some tumult in the business, but uh, I'm glad we got a chance. To, and I'm glad to it worked out and you got yeah. your download and you know, um, all good. Humble was just what you said at the beginning. One of the awfully <laughs> all the off air stuff was the humility you showed there about how you dealt with one of your employees. It's like, mm. hey, I get it. Yeah. You know, there's so many people just wouldn't have got it. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, we, all, we, we all have to find happiness it's now more than ever. But, but yeah, look, I mean, COVID or no COVID, like life, life should always be about happiness. Find some happiness and yeah, find the joy and chase it like hell. Yeah. yeah, it's like to, to I'll leave the last point I leave is one of the things you said is like you'd always be growing. I hope that my last breath, somebody teaches me something new. Yeah. Like whatever that might be, I don't care what it is. I hope is I'm still learning, still growing when I draw that last breath. Amen. You know? Yeah, for sure. All right, sir. Sure. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the day. Enjoy your week. Likewise. Um, uh, now I'm going to touch base for you later on in the week because I want to know how your uh, appointment went to see what your, yeah. your, your PT's telling you. Yeah. Yeah. Say, cross your fingers, say a prayer, do whatever you got to do. But yeah, yeah, I hope that goes really well. Awesome stuff. Take care. Thank you Thanks, very much. Sir. All right, man. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Take care.